If this is your first time with us, I'd like to say welcome. We're so thankful that you decided to join us. My name is Derek, and I'm the pastor of Chi Alpha. I'd love the chance to meet you and help you as we finish this year together. We can finish it running after Jesus. Amen? Amen. So when I was probably around eight years old, my parents and my family, we had a dog named Teddy. Teddy was an extremely cute but also extremely naughty dog. Reminds me of a different dog I know that lives in my house currently. But anyways, we'll keep going. Sometimes, though, when we'd open the door, Teddy would just bolt out and run away. And we wouldn't see him for hours, months, years. Okay, not actually years, but he would run away, and we would take a long time to go find him. One day this happened before we were supposed to go to a baseball game for like I was playing in. And you, don't, you can't be late to your own game, right? So we spent a few minutes looking for Teddy. And eventually we just realized we have to go because we can't be late. My dad is the coach and I played. So we had to leave and go to the game. And after the game, this is a sad story. I don't know why I decided to tell it, but here we go. On the way back, I'm driving on the highway and I see my dog, Teddy. And I was really sad. Oh, that's correct. It was a very sad experience and I was devastated. However, that's not the, the important part for this evening. The important part was the way I responded. So I get home, and I just sprint to the basement, and I'm so sad. I'm just bawling as like an eight-year-old. And then my sadness turns to anger, and I start like screaming at God. That's what I was mad at. I'm like, God, you did this. You're a mean God. It's your fault. My, do- my naughty dog ran away. It's your fault we live next to a highway. You're a mean dog. You're a mean God. You're out to get my dog. <laughs> Crazy things, just yelling at God close as I've been to swearing. Don't swear at God. That sounds bad. So obviously looking back as a little bit of a wiser person, it was not God's fault my dog got hit. The dog was dumb and he ran away and we didn't find him on time. It was the dog's fault. But something that's remarkable to me about this story is just how honest I was with God. I didn't try to have like a fancy prayer as I came home to my deceased dog. I wasn't like, please, Lord, you killed my dog. Forgive him of his sins. Amen. Nope, that's not what I did. I came home and yelled at God, and I was honest with him. I didn't try to figure it out and like go into the corner and grieve and cry by myself and then come to God and say, all right, I'm over it now. We're, we're good. We can pray again. Nope, I, I grieved with God. I didn't try to clean up my act first. No, I prayed a real messy prayer to God, and I told him just what I thought of him and exactly what my thoughts were in that moment. See, kids are so good at this. They're so honest, and they're so raw about what's going on. As we grow up, we try to make things sound better. We kind of put a good spin on things. We put on our best selves. We mature. And we kind of, in this maturing process, can sometimes lose our real self. In some ways, this isn't bad. Like, you don't need to go run up to people and tell them exactly what you think of them all the time. That can be rude and awkward. So some parts of it's good. We've developed this thing called a filter, which is fun. But sometimes it's not so good, specifically, I think, in our relationships with God. Because God's not after our filtered selves. God wants our real selves. He wants our childlike self. And I think this directly correlates to our prayer lives. Maybe you're here tonight and prayer feels routine. It feels rigid. And if you're honest, you feel like sometimes when you're praying, it's just a waste of your time. Or maybe you're here and you pray, but it's really boring. You feel like your prayer life's just kind of stale. Or maybe your prayer life's exhausting. Maybe you feel like you have to perform for God because you have to put on your best self before you pray. So you get kind of tired having to do that. So prayer just becomes a tiring thing. I think many of us are here tonight, and if we're honest, we either don't have or we don't love our prayer lives. Most people, when I've said I'm going to do a series on prayer, they're like, oh, good, I'm not very good at that. And me too, so I'm preaching to the choir here. Maybe your prayer life's non-existent. 
Maybe your prayer life's bland or lacks excitement. Maybe it just feels like a checklist at this point that you have to do to, divert, to earn divine brownie points, which don't exist. Following Jesus in our prayer life should be anything but bland and boring. Following Jesus should be exciting. It's something that fuels us, that helps form us into the image of God. Prayer is obviously about changing situations, right? Like you pray for certain things, like we pray for Ukraine or you pray for healing. You want those situations to change. But I think prayer is actually about more than just changing the world around us. I think prayer's main emphasis is actually changing the heart inside of us. I think with all these things in mind, it might be time for us to learn or relearn how to pray. Tonight we're going to be starting our sermon series, Teach Me to Pray. In this series, we are going, or pray like this. That was not what I thought it was. Our sermon series, pray like this. Uh, I feel stupid. I told the Casey to make it that way. It's all my fault. Anyways, it's been a long week. Let's keep going. In our sermon series, pray like this. In this series, we're going to examine what our prayer lives look like, and we're looking at different examples of how to pray. We're going to learn how to pray the way that Jesus tells us to throughout his life. And tonight, the sermon title is Praying Like a Child. Praying Like a Child. We're going to look to children to learn how to pray. In the first century, which is the time that Jesus lived, children were not thought of as like cute and fun to have around. No, in that culture, in first century of the Roman Empire, children were more like a nuisance. They were an annoying necessity that had to happen so we can keep the family line going, and they just kind of bothered adults. We didn't actually start idolizing children until the start of the Romanticism era in our, histor- in our history. So in the story we're going to read tonight, we have to recognize this context, that children were not thought of as cute and fun and something to love. They're really thought of something that's a hindrance to us living the lives we want to. So when we read what Jesus says in this passage, we have to recognize it's quite astounding, and it would be extremely countercultural. Jesus was with his disciples, and he's going around society teaching them what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And then we drop into our story in Mark chapter 10. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you give us an avenue to connect with you through prayer, God. We thank you for this group of students gathered tonight, God. I pray that you speak to us. In your name, amen. Amen. So Jesus is telling us here that if we want to receive the kingdom of God, we need to be like children. So what Jesus is effectively saying in that statement is if you want to follow him, which being in the kingdom of God is like synonymous with following Jesus. They mean the same thing. If we want to follow God, we need to be childlike in our faith, which includes being childlike in our prayer. That's because prayer is just going to Jesus and being with him. And that's what the children were physically doing in Mark chapter 10. So Jesus welcomes children in a childlike approach for people who come to him. So now when we approach Jesus through prayer, this correlates to approaching Jesus in a childlike way. So the first characteristic of children, so we're going to look at a few different characteristics of children to realize how we should pray. The first one to note is that children are real. Children are real. Children... Do not put on a fake self when they communicate with you. No, they come to you in all their honest mess. And Jesus wants the same thing for our prayer lives. Jesus doesn't want us to feel like we have to clean everything up before going to him. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just need to come to God with all of our mess. 
The only way to approach Jesus and to truly meet him is to actually take off our spiritual masks. The real Jesus wants to meet the real you. He is a person, not just like a religious service or a religious sacrament. Another thing about children is they're real, they're also honest about their worries. They don't hide them. And Jesus doesn't want you to hide your worries from him either. What actually might be crucial before we go into a time of prayer is to have a time of worry where we think about the things that are stressing us out and then we turn that to prayer. That way, when we're worrying, we learn what to pray about because then we can pray about the things that we're worrying about. I think sometimes we think, okay, I got to worry first and then, nope, just do it all together. Pray about the things that are worrying you because God wants our real self. He doesn't want a fake self who thinks they've got it all figured out. Children are also distracted very often. And guess what? That's okay. I think sometimes we think we've got to pray and like we'd be laser focused. Like I've got this little routine I'm going to go through. I'm going to say the right words and I cannot think about anything else. And then that lasts for about six seconds. And then we get distracted. And we're like, dang it, God's mad at us. No. Instead, Jesus tells us, get distracted, but with me. So let's say that you're praying and you catch your mind wandering. Instead of getting mad at yourself and trying to force yourself back to the real prayer about the fake things in life that you feel like you're supposed to talk about, maybe pray about the things that your mind is wandering about, because that's what's actually important to you. If you're wandering to it and thinking about it and worrying about something, it probably matters to you, so you should probably give it to God. So if you're sitting down to pray and then you get distracted thinking about your exam, instead of willing yourself back to the real prayer, pray about your exam. Not only will that be you praying about the real things that are important to you, but it's also going to get your mind back to the other things you're praying about because you, instead of saying, I got to quit thinking about my exam, go back to prayer. I got to quit thinking about my exam. You think about your exam, you pray about it, you give it to God, and you can go back to the rest of what you're trying to pray about. See, Jesus does not want a fake us in our prayer lives. He wants our real, honest selves. Too often, I think we try to over-spiritualize prayer. That seems like a weird thing to hear a pastor say, right? How do you over-spiritualize prayer? It's like the most spiritual thing you do. But I think we think that sometimes we have to get our fancy words prepared. We have to get the nice tie on with the tie clip, say the right things, do the right systems, pray the right amount of time from the right book, and then we can pray. But in actuality, God just wants to talk to our unfiltered selves. He wants us, again, to be real. Prayer shouldn't be that complicated, just talking to your Father in heaven. Paul Miller, in his book, A Praying Life, which is the book that a lot of these ideas come from, he says it this way, in bringing your real self to Jesus, you give him the opportunity to work on the real you, and you will slowly change. The kingdom will come. You'll end up less selfish. What he's saying here is that a lot of times before we start praying, we get kind of mad at ourselves. We're like, all I, want, all I think about is me. So then since that's all I think about, all I want to pray about is me, so I probably shouldn't pray because that seems selfish. So instead of praying about selfish things, I just want to pray about anything because I feel selfish praying about the things that actually matter to me. But if all you think about right now is you, that's probably all you can kind of pray about because you're not thinking about anything else. So start there. Start praying selfish prayers because, again, the goal of prayer is not necessarily to just change situations, but the goal of prayer is to change you. So if, even if all you're doing is praying about yourself, if the prayers are real and they're honest, they are going to form you because as we pray, we start to look more like Jesus and they'll form you and shape you to where you won't have to force yourself to pray selfless prayers. But instead, as you pray, you'll become more like Jesus. You'll become more selfless. So then you'll want to pray selfless things because your heart will be more like Jesus. We focus too much on the end goal that I have to say the right things, but no, Jesus is more focused on the process of getting you there. So let's, if all you have right now 
is prayers about your tests and your favorite football team that your prayer won't make a difference if they win but because people are praying for the other team too. And so that would create a little bit of a conundrum. But if that's all you got so far, start there. It's better than nothing. Jesus just wants to talk to you, right? For example, when parents have a kid, they're not necessarily too worried about their first word. Maybe mom and dad want like the other word or want them to say mom or dad, but they just want them to talk, right? They're more worried about them saying a word than they are about them saying the exact right word. I want you to imagine this story. Imagine that a child is in the backyard and they're playing, they're running around having a great time and then they slip and they fall into a really muddy spot. And they're just like caked in mud. It's not just like a little bit. They're covered in mud. And the child's super messy and super dirty. How will the child respond? Will it respond this way? Will it get up? Like try to clean itself off all calmly. Like brush off the dirt. Go to the hose and have a nice shower on it. And then take their dirty clothes and take them to the dry cleaner. Get them cleaned. Even though they've never been to a dry cleaner, I don't know if they're real anymore, but it sounded funny. And then go to a barber shop and get a nice fresh haircut and come to mom and dad. Like, I'm clean. Or will they yell, Mom, I'm dirty. Come help clean me up. They're probably going to do that one, right? Because... They're honest about their messiness, and kids don't feel like they need to clean themselves up on their own before coming to their parent. No, kids just want their parent to help them clean up. That's like our relationship with Jesus. He doesn't expect us to clean up before coming to him in prayer. He wants to help us in the process of cleaning us up through prayer. This is how we are called to be like with our Father in heaven. We need to pray honest prayers, talking to God about what's really going on inside of our hearts. We need to have honest conversations with God through prayer, just like we would with other people, because Jesus is a person. He's not just like a religious figure. He's a person, and he wants to have raw conversation with you, and that will draw you closer to him. And the closer you are to him, you're giving him an opportunity to work on the real you, not that Instagram super spiritual version of you that's like, hi, I'm perfect. No. Jesus doesn't care about that version as much. He wants to work on the real you. So children, they're real, but they're not just real. Another characteristic of children is they are very talkative. And something that's obvious is if they're children, they talk like children. See, that makes sense. I just keep seeing the prey like this thing. It's ticking me off, but I screwed it up. Anyways, we'll keep going. So when it comes to talking to Jesus... We need to talk like a child. So how does a child talk? Well, there's actually three things that children do when they talk. First of all, we can ask. When a child asks for things, are they reserved about what they ask for? Are they like, okay, let's see, mom and dad's energy bill was this much, and then they spent this much on the internet, so let's see, I can't afford that toy, but I can get that toy, and then I can go out to eat. No, they don't do that. They just ask for everything and anything. They're like, mom, can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? They're not scared that their parents won't be able to provide for them. No, they just trust their parents somehow have all the money in the world, and they just ask for whatever they want. And we can be like that with God. We just need to come to God with our honest requests. Will we get everything we ask for? Certainly not. God is not a supernatural vending machine or like a genie who you press a few buttons and you get magically whatever you want. That's not how God works because actually God's smarter than vending machines and know that sometimes we don't click the right buttons. We don't know what's actually best for us. So sometimes if God answered prayers, that wouldn't actually be the most loving thing for us because he knows it's not best for us to get that prayer answered. So that's why not all our prayers are answered because it might not be what's actually best for our soul. So anyways, does God give us everything we want? No, but it sure doesn't hurt to ask. Sometimes I think our lack of asking for things is actually keeping things from happening that we want to see happen. 
So for myself, when I was in college, there was this job I really, really wanted. I thought it was what I was supposed to do. It was going to be a high school basketball coach. I thought this was it. And I prayed and prayed and prayed for this job. If you look at my prayer journal, it was like every day just praying for one thing. Very selfish, but it was just all I had. So I prayed about it every day for literally like a month. Then I get a call. I didn't get the job. I'm like, what the heck, God? I asked for this. I prayed. This is the most persistent I've been for prayer for anything. However, if I would have gotten that job, I wouldn't have been able to be a Chi Alpha small group leader, so I wouldn't have became a Chi Alpha intern, so I would not have become the Chi Alpha director. So if God would have given me that wish in that moment, I wouldn't have this job right now, which is the coolest job in the world. As I'm sitting back there during the worship, I'm like, this is amazing. This team is incredible. Let's give the worship team a round of applause, by the way. I want to do that. But anyways, if God would have answered that prayer, then this prayer, which is actually I want a life of meaning and purpose in this context, would not have came true because God's smarter than me. So just because we ask for something doesn't mean that it's going to happen, but I don't think God was mad at me for asking. So let's say you really want a job. And if you pray about getting this job, and then you get the job, you can give glory to God, right? You're like, God answered my prayer. God gets the glory. Let's flip it. Let's say you do not pray about getting the job, and then you get the job. Who gets the glory? You. Because you didn't ask anyone else for it. You just got the job based off your merit, off your resume. You worked hard for it, so it's your job. So that way we take all the glory, and that kind of inflates our pride. So I think sometimes God doesn't necessarily, he doesn't give us the things we want if we don't pray for it because he doesn't want to inflate our ego. God cares more about our soul than he cares about us getting earthly gifts. So if an earthly gift is going to cause us to be prideful because we think we earned it and we did something that made us better than other people, why would God give you that? But if an earthly gift is going to make you point to the goodness of God because you prayed about it and gave it to God and be able to be an answered prayer to Jesus, then he will be more apt to give it to you because it will bring glory to him. See, when we ask for things, it's us opening up the door to giving God the glory that he deserves. It gives God an opportunity to bless us. And it actually changes reality. Look at the Old Testament, the character of Moses. He prays and God changes his mind about things. Our prayers make a difference. They change things. But we have to remember, we, we need to ask, and if we don't ask, we're opening up ourselves for an opportunity for our ego to be inflated, and something, maybe Jesus won't give you that because he cares more about your future than your feelings in the moment. Earlier in the book of Mark, the disciples are trying to cast out a demon, and they can't. And then Jesus comes down from a mountain and casts out the demon just like that. The disciples are like, what the heck? We've been trying at this, I imagine they've been trying for like hours. And then, like, we tried everything. We, like, yelled at the person, said, demon, get out. None of it worked. And then Mark 9, 28 through 29 says this. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some things require prayer in order to be accomplished. Do we have all the answers to this? Does Jesus then give a 10-point PowerPoint of why they couldn't cast it out? No. But God tells us that some things require prayer, so then I'm going to pray about things. Another thing that Scripture talks about is it says that earthly parents know how to give good gifts to their children that ask. So that if an earthly parent can give good gifts, how much better of a gift can my heavenly Father, as in God, give me if we ask? Throughout the Scripture, this picture is painted that God is ready and willing to give us good gifts, but all we need to do is ask for them. So children ask they also believe. Believing like a child means having confidence in your parents. 
See, when we're young, our parents are our heroes, right? We think they can do anything. I remember thinking my dad was just the strongest guy in the world, and he had, like, when we were going swimming, he had his gold chain on, and I was like, this guy's buff and tan and awesome, and I'm short and chubby and pale, but it's okay. My dad's awesome. But then as we get older, we get kind of hardened, and we start to think a little bit more logically, which logical thinking is not bad. I'm a very logical thinker. But then as we do this, we begin to doubt things. We begin to doubt not only our parents, but we also begin to doubt God. But truly praying like a child means that we actually believe our God can answer any prayer we ask of Him. When we learn to pray like a child, we will learn to dream like a child. Children have big dreams. I wanted to go to the NFL as a kid. That didn't work out, but that's okay. Here we are. But I sure thought it could happen. So believing like a child means you believe that it can happen, but it also means that you believe enough that you're persistent. Because if a child doesn't get their way, do they just like their parent gives them an argument for why you can't have this toy? And they're like, you know what? That makes logical sense. I'll stop now. I'm sorry. I want to ask again. No. Like, but I want it. Can I have it now? Are we there yet? Blah, blah, blah. They keep asking questions. They keep going. Because children are persistent. They keep asking. And the reason they keep asking is because they think their parent has the ability to give it to them, but they're just holding out on them. They don't think their parent doesn't have the financial means or something to give it to them. So if we truly believe our God is big enough to answer our prayers, we're going to keep asking until we either get an answer or we get a firm no, because until he tells me yes or no, I'm going to keep asking because I serve the God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he can answer any prayer that I ask of him. So if we believe in God, we will be persistent. And I think sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers right away because he wants to develop grit inside of us. He wants us to keep asking him to develop us and help us to rely on God because if we got everything right away when we first asked for it, then that's not going to make us very gritty, right? Like, oh, awesome. God's a divine vending machine. I get everything I want. No, God cares more about your soul than he cares about just giving you what you want. So children ask, they believe, and then they play. Like, how does this work? I'm going to get there. Miller puts it this way. So how do we structure our adult conversations? We don't. Especially when talking with old friends, the conversations bounce from subject to subject. It has a fun, meandering, play-like quality. Why would our prayer time be any different? After all, God is a person. I'm all for structure and rhythms. I like disciplines. We're going to dive into some prayer structure actually next week. But before we do that, I think sometimes we overstructure our prayer lives. We think about all these rhythms and routines, things we need to do, and instead we just need to talk to God. We just need to play with our, with our God. So children not only talk like children, they also never stop talking. Children do not stop talking. I have, I have many nieces and nephews, and I love them dearly. And thankfully, they're not old enough to listen to podcasts. But they never stop talking. We're at family events, and they just keep going for like 20 minutes. I'm like, what's happening right now? My life is me and Taylor sitting on two separate couches and our dog getting excited for like 30 seconds and then falling asleep. And then getting excited for 30 seconds and falling asleep. When he's not that loud when he's excited, he's like, they're like, so it's much louder. I'm not used to that. We live a pretty quiet life. But when I'm around my niece and nephew, they just keep going. They're like, there's, there's no off switch. I've, I've looked. <laughs> but this is how we should relate to our Father. We should be continuously talking or praying to Him. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says we are to pray without ceasing. We are to be constant in prayer. Now, does this look like every day you get up and you go inside a closet and you pray all day and get nothing done ever? I guess if you want to, then you're going to fail your classes, but you can sure try it. That's cool, but they're not like, I got an exemption. I was praying, professor. Like, I don't care. So no, it's not an exemption to not go to class. That's not what I'm giving you here. But instead, 
This looks like while we're going about our day-to-day lives, we keep our mind on the things of Jesus, and we're in constant communion as we go about the things that God has asked us to do. The way this practically looks is this thing called breath prayers, or like short prayers throughout your day. It's as simple as like, let's say you're walking to class, and you just pray, Jesus, be with me today. Or you say, Jesus, forgive me. I sinned 20 seconds ago. Jesus, help me. Teach me something, God. Jesus, some, something short. It doesn't have to be a long, elaborate thing. Just something to get your mind recentered on Jesus. It's something to show you rely on God. Because when you pray, you're showing you rely on Jesus for things. Just pray the name of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're walking like Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Or Jesus, I need you. This keeps us in communion with God. Another thing this, these short prayers do is they take the pressure off of prayer. When all we pray are simple one-word prayers, we don't need to sort out the right words to say. We don't have to get the right things to even pray for. We just say, Jesus, I don't know what I need, but I pray that you fill my needs, God. Whatever I need, whatever I'm supposed to be praying for, I'm praying for it. We're just talking to Jesus. So my challenge for you is to create some reminder for you to remember to pray throughout the day. Maybe it's a reminder on your phone, or maybe it's a habit of every time you walk to class, you pray to God. Or maybe you pray every hour on the hour for one minute. So like at 12 to 12.01, you pray. 1 to one you pray. In your head, like you don't need to stand up in class and start praying and yelling at people, but like just pray in your head. Use something to remind you to center your mind on Jesus and to be in communion with Jesus all day. Jesus does not just want an hour-long devotional time with you. He wants a relationship with you that lasts all day. That helps us pray without ceasing. But this is not going to happen on its own right away. You're not going to walk out of here like, you know what, I got this. I don't need a reminder. I'm going to pray all stinking day, Derek. You have no idea. And then tomorrow I wake up, Twitter, and then you're off. You're not going to pray, right? But if you're on Instagram and you're like, oh, reminder, I should pray, then you'll probably do it because you get reminded of it. Or you'll be more likely to do it at least. So you need to create some kind of system that reminds you to pray without ceasing. And eventually as you do that, as you do this system, as you have alarms or reminders, something, it'll become natural to you where you don't, well, you'll just be talking to Jesus, not thinking anything of it. But it needs to start with something. You have to create some kind of routine. The next thing about children is children are not in a rush. Children aren't in a rush. So when it comes to our prayer lives, too often, at least I do this, we view it as a checklist activity that we just need to hurry up and get over with so we can move on to the rest of our days. But that's not how children ask. They don't have to-do lists. They just live in the moment. This is also not just the way kids act, but it's also the way that Jesus acted when he was on earth. Jesus did not rush through life. Jesus was so stinking slow. He would be walking around, like, getting ready to go heal this dude's daughter, and someone, like, comes up and touches him. He's like, who touched me? And sits there and, like, walks around for 30 minutes. Like, oh, it was you. Well, let's pray for you healing. Is the girl's, like, dying. He's like, oh, we're good. We'll get there. He's just praying. Uh, she died. No, she didn't. She's fine. Go back. Oh, let's go on to the next thing. Maybe I should go on a mountain and pray for 30 minutes. He just, like, slow. I'm like, you're God. Like, I'd be like, bang, 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 healed, healed. That's not how Jesus worked. He was slow. A key to a healthy prayer life is slowing down and quieting our souls. If we're running around, always talking, rushing through things, like our Google Calendar is stacked, how are we to have intimacy with God? How are we to hear from the almighty creator of the universe if we're always talking frantically? Like, no, we need to slow down and let Jesus talk to us. Miller says it this way, you don't create intimacy, you make room for it. Ooh, when I read that, I was so convicted. I was like, oh, I thought there's a six-step process to creating intimacy with the Lord. And I was like, nope, guess not. You've got to make room for it. Because in relationships, there's no substitute for time. And prayer is all about a relationship. It's not a checklist. It's not a religious obligation. It's about 
living in communion with your Father. So if you feel like your prayer life is dry or unfruitful, I think the reason might be you're going too fast. You're not leaving room for God to actually speak or move. See, God can speak in quick moments. He's God. He can do the heck He wants. But the more time you give to Him, the more likely you are to have a fruitful prayer time. We can't, like, expedite Amazon Prime shipping our prayer process, right? There's no, like, two-day money-back guarantee thing. No, we need to slow down and leave room for Jesus. This is why we believe so strongly in having a daily quiet time where you have real devotion to Jesus, where you are intentionally intimate with God. Maybe this starts with just 10 minutes of prayer a day and reading one chapter of the Bible. Great. That's a great place to start. But hopefully then you work your way up. The long-term goal is to work your way up to spending two to two and a half to three hours a day with Jesus. Where do we get that number? Well, roughly two and a half hours of your day is actually like a tithe of your time. So in churches, you, you hear like tithing your finances, right? Giving the first 10% to the church to like, as in giving it back to God. Well, we believe not only in tithing our finances, but we also believe in tithing our time. So we give the first 10% of our day to Jesus, which is roughly two and a half hours. I'm not there every day by any stretch of the imagination, but that's my goal. I plan to get there someday. Maybe when we have children, then I'll have more time. Hmm. I'm going to lean on that one. So if we tithe our time to Jesus and give him two and a half hours and we spend that time doing spiritual disciplines, we will get connected with God because we're slowing down. I think too often, this is what happens, just being honest, I think we sit down. We're like, all right, I'm about to meet God right here, right now. He's about to show up in my closet. I'm about to meet the Lord and Savior. He's about to wreck me just like he did at Fall Retreat. I'm going to get those heebie-jeebies again. Here come the goosebumps. And then we like grunt, like, mm, yes, God. And we cry out, God, meet me right now. And then it's like 30 seconds later, you're like, eh, that didn't work. All right. Try again tomorrow. All right. See you tomorrow, God. And we're like, done. That's our prayer lives. We try, like, we angry, like, oh, God, meet me. But then we give him 30 seconds. We're like, ah, I'm over it. That's enough. And we're like, prayer is pointless. Maybe I shouldn't try this anymore. It's not working. We say things like, you know what? Small group leader, I just don't hear from God. I just don't. He doesn't talk to me. It's like it's silent on one end. Like, I'm calling. He's not receiving. I'm not giving him enough time to pick up, but I'm sending him straight to voicemail. Like, my prayer is lifeless. Nothing happens. When the problem's probably not God who's not talking to you, the problem's not the activity of prayer. Maybe, just maybe, the problem is we don't give God enough time. Because spiritual deep encounters take time. That's why at retreats and conferences, you encounter Jesus, because guess what? You're sitting in a room where you're forced to spend time with Jesus. Like, there's nothing, there's no video game or homework to go back to, usually. Most people don't bring their own PlayStation to Winter Conference. But you're focused intimately on God, so no poop God's going to talk to you. You're giving Him a space to. So you have to give God time. Imagine it this way. So take God out of it. Imagine that there's someone in Kyle who's like, I'm ready to boo up with them. You're thinking romantically, like, this is about to be my new thing. And you really want to develop intimacy with them. And you're like, I'm about to build a deep relationship with them. And you're like, you know what? I know this great way. It's a new trick I found of how to get intimate with people. I'm about to talk to them. I'm going to have a conversation with them. And you decide, you know what? I got this. You're like, your small group guys get you all worked up. And you're like, I'm going to go talk to her. I got this. You're like punching the devil. And you're going to be like, what's up, sugar? And then you have a 30-second conversation. It's kind of awkward, like, peace. And you walk out. And then you go to your small group, like, it just didn't work. I had all the moves. I gave her 30 seconds, but we're not intimate. She's not ready to marry me yet. I gave her 30 full seconds of my day. And for some reason, she's not about to marry me. Why are we not intimate? 
How would your small group react? I'm like, you crazy. You can't give them 30 seconds to develop a deep, thriving, emotional relationship. Because it takes time to develop intimacy. You got to give things room to breathe. We need to spend extravagant time with God if we want to see fruitful prayer. If you want an exciting prayer life, the solution is not to go like yell at God for 30 seconds of really passionate prayer, like, God, I'm passionate for you, and then be done. No, the solution to getting some excitement in your prayer life is having daily, steady, extravagant time with God. Because then you'll get to know him better because you're spending more time with him. And as you get to know him better, you'll get to see his heart more and you'll get more things downloaded into you from, the, from God, from the scriptures. And then you'll actually get to know God. And guess what? Then you'll start talking to you because you actually know him. Ooh, that's good. Come on. That, I was excited about that one. I think the best way to practically do this though is to get up early before the rest of your day and spend the first fruits of your day with Jesus. I know some people are like, I'm not a morning person. That's not me. That's okay. You can become a morning person with one of our gifts we're going to give you later. Not a gift, one of the points. That's not a gift. <laughs> I was like, I'm not buying anything. Anywho. So tithing is not just giving 10% of your income to the church. It's giving your first 10%. So when it comes to tithing your time, it's giving the first 10%. So I challenge you to get up early and spend time with Jesus before you go out the rest of your day. And in this time, you can pray, read the Bible, worship, sit in silence, solitude, practice these spiritual disciplines we've talked so much about. If you don't know the spiritual disciplines, that's okay. Ask your small group leader. They would love to teach you on it. Or you can ask someone in LTC because they just learned about it. So that, you can ask them too. If you want to learn about these disciplines, just got to ask. Or I'll teach them to you. I love them. This is like my love language here. So I know that getting up early and spending an intimate time with Jesus can be a hard habit to develop. It can be challenging. Some of you like to stay up really late, so it's hard. Luckily for you, I've got seven tips to help you get up early and do things. Number one, go to bed. <laughs> getting up early is not just a morning activity. It's not like you against the alarm clock. No, it's you against your pillow, like get in your pillow and go to sleep before 4, 4 a.m., if you want to get up early, it starts with going to bed early. If you want to pray in the morning, if God's actually a priority to you, then you'll prioritize him over playing Fortnite until 4 a.m. and you'll go to bed or sit on TikTok. Your evenings and your mornings are deeply connected. So be spiritually disciplined not to get up early. Be spiritually disciplined to go to bed. Amen. John, okay, John goes to bed at like 6. That's not what I mean. 6 p.m. I mean, not a.m. Don't do that either. Number two. Get up. Like physically get out of bed. One time I was like, okay, I'm going to start praying in bed. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to pray for hours. I woke up I'm like, Jesus. <sighs> right back to sleep. I literally did that for like a week in a row. I was like, this is my day. <sighs> no, I've got bad news. You will no never develop a morning prayer discipline in bed. You'll just fall right back asleep, unless you're Superman. And if so, then you can skip to step number eight or whatever. Number three. Get awake. This is that gift I was talking about. This is where God's greatest gift to humanity comes in. Coffee. Amen. Not that tea stuff. That's heretical. Don't drink that. Hey, oh, now they're all mad. I'm just kidding. Hey, so maybe this looks like you drinking caffeine or taking a shower in the morning. Do something when you wake up to actually wake yourself up. Going and reading your Bible as you fall asleep is not an actual productive activity. No, sleeping with Jesus is not a spiritual discipline. We need to be awake for our time with God. So do something to wake you up. 
And coffee is an excellent tool to spending time with Jesus. All right, get this. All right, you're getting, you guys are all rowdy tonight. So I have developed a rhythm in my life where I spend time with Jesus every single morning without fail. How did I do this? I did this thing called habit stacking. Habit stacking is when you take two habits and you do them together, one that's maybe a little bit more fun, one that's a little bit more hard, and you stack them together to create a routine where these two habits become one. For me, this started when I started drinking coffee. So I would get up every morning and I would drink what was then a Keurig K-cup, terrible cup of coffee, and I would read the Bible. Since those days, I've grown. I've developed an addiction to caffeine, so thanks to the Lord for that. My coffee's gotten much tastier, but my time with Jesus has gotten way more intimate because I do it every single day. The same routine of coffee and contemplation with Jesus has never failed me yet. Stranger things, no one gets it. We'll go on to number four. Number four, get a quiet place. And I know that this one is challenging if you live in a dorm with a roommate. So maybe you just need to get, maybe you get up in your morning time is in your room because you don't have anywhere else to go. But some point in time later in the day, you find a place where you can go without interruptions. Because it's kind of awkward to be like crying out to God and then have your roommate like, you okay down there, bud? Like, that's weird. So you don't want to worry about being embarrassed. Like, I feel weird praying when Taylor's in the house because I'm like, Jesus, I like whisper my prayers. And she comes, I'm like, huh, she scares me. So find somewhere to be alone. Maybe that looks like going to your dorm lounge early in the morning where no one's going to be there. Maybe it looks like just going to your car and going for a drive with with Jesus. Maybe it looks like going to a coffee shop, putting in headphones, and you can talk to God that way. Go on a walk with Jesus. My best times with the Lord are on walks around campus. Find a way to have some peace and quiet. Maybe it's not going to look like a full two and a half hours of quiet, but a little bit of time of quiet with just you and Jesus. Number five, get comfortable. I think sometimes we think if we're not uncomfortable, it's not real prayer. Like, I got to be on my knees, like an arm stretched out, like one right here, like, Jesus. No, you don't have to pray on your knees for it to be spiritual. Get, like, physically comfort. Because then if you're really uncomfortable, your prayer is probably going to be a little bit hindered by that because you're just thinking about your knees hurting instead of thinking about God. That's why I lean back in my chair. So far, I broke it, but that's okay. With a cup of coffee, and I stare at my window as my dog runs. And that's my time with the Lord. Number six, get going. Start somewhere. This might look like five minutes. This might look like one minute of prayer. Do, set some small attainable goal that you can actually do and then work your way up to number seven, which is keep going. Don't give up. Consistency is more important in prayer than like length. Jesus is more concerned about you being with him every day than you having long, strenuous prayer times once a year at fall retreat. Don't give up. Keep going. Even if you miss a day of prayer, that's okay. God's not mad at you. So children are not in a rush. And we just gave you a ton of ways to not be in a rush as well. But one reason that children aren't in a rush is because children are helpless. Meaning that children are reliant upon their parents. And usually they know this. Like babies don't try to feed themselves, right? No, they just cry out for their mom because they know they need her for food. Just like children cannot live on their own, neither can we. If we are left to run our own lives and do it all on our own, we will fail. Miller puts it this way. If you are not praying then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy. But if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find time to pray. What he's effectively saying is that a lack of a prayer life is actually a form of pride. Because we think we can do this all on our own. We don't need God. But if we knew that we needed God and we were reliant on Him, we couldn't help but cry out to Him because we knew we couldn't do it on our own. When I read this in the book, it convicted me so much. I often tried to just kind of will things into submission, do it on my own, reach my goals in my own way. 
but he wants us to be reliant on him. And this is so countercultural to the American idea. Here's the American idea. You work hard, and you can achieve anything you want. That's not the kingdom culture idea. The kingdom culture says instead, if we pray hard enough, God can accomplish anything through us. We think, work hard, I'll get what I want. No, God says, pray hard, and then I will accomplish what I need to do. And God can do way more with our prayer lives than he can do with our feeble works. See, our state of helplessness, which is the reality we live in, it can lead to anxiety because we worry about how things are going to happen. We realize we're helpless. We're like, I can't control this. So we get stressed and worried. This isn't necessarily like clinical anxiety. We believe in medicine. We believe in therapy, things like that. No, we're talking about more of the general daily anxieties or worries. So Miller asked this question, what does an unused prayer link look like? And then he answers the anxiety. Anxiety, this is a quote from him, anxiety wants to be God, but lacks God's wisdom, power, or knowledge. A godlike stance without godlike character and ability is pure tension. When we're worried about lives and our futures, we're usually worried about things that are out of our control. And we struggle so much with releasing control. We want complete control, but we are denied complete control, which is going to lead us to worry and anxiety. We're worried because we're trying to control the world. We're trying to do something that only God can do. So imagine you're lifting weights, and you're trying to lift a weight that's physically impossible for you to lift. That's going to stress you out and worry you, right? You're trying to do something you can't do. We can't control our own lives. So when we try to do that through a lack of prayer, no wonder you're worried all the time. We have to recognize that there's a God, and we're not him. We are not good enough to have complete control. So we need to submit to Jesus and give him control of our lives. If we do this, we will not worry as much about life because we'll trust that, you know, even though my life's crazy right now, God is in control. I personally am a control freak. I struggle with this. I struggle to release control and get my hands off the wheels. And there's just one time... In the summer of 2020, when life was crazy, Taylor and I were getting ready to go on a short anniversary trip to this like secluded house in Missouri because we didn't want to get around sick, so we want to go there. But right before the trip happened, we we're getting ready to leave, I started having breathing problems. And I'm like, what the heck? Do I have this thing that's COVID? We didn't really know what it was then. So I Googled it, what COVID was. I read all three articles that were out about COVID because no one knew anything. And I stressed. I went and got tested. And to say that I worried would be an understatement. I took my temperature literally like every hour on the hour. I called the doctor's office multiple times a day after I took my test to see if they got my results yet. This one's bad. I found a way to log into the lab's database to figure out when the, like before the patients get called to see when, uh, if my results. It was bad. I don't know how, that was the dark web or something. Because I was really worried. And then we're getting ready to leave for our trip, and I don't have my results yet, so we just go because we're going to a house only Taylor and I'd be in, so it'd be fine if, we're, if I did have it and only get her sick. But we're super stressed the whole time, or at least I am. She's fine. She doesn't worry about things. I'm stressed, and it kind of ruined the first half of my trip. But then I woke up the next morning, and I called the lady again, and as she hears my voice, she laughs because she remembers me. She's like, you're fine. Your results came back negative. Please stop calling me. Click. I had worried for nothing. And here's the, the fun part of this story. The reason I was having breathing issues was because I was struggling with anxiety. And I was worried about it. My worry led me to think I had COVID, which led me to worry more, which led me to think, and then just a circle and a circle of worry, worry, worry. When instead I said, God, you're in control. You can have this, this little worry. I could have went on, without my, or on about my day. If you struggle with worry, it might be because you need to give things up to God. 
Recognize your own helplessness. Paul Miller says this way, when you stop trying to control your life and instead allow your anxieties and problems to bring you to God in prayer, you shift from worry to watching. We go from worrying about something to giving it to God and getting ready to watch Him move in our lives. We need to trust that God is better at running our lives than we are. This goes back to being constant in prayer. The spirit of being constant in prayer means you have a spirit of humility. We recognize we're poor in spirit. Miller says we don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. We just need to be poor in spirit. Because if we know we rely upon God, we won't be able to help but pray because we know we need help. You and I, we need to be poor in spirit. We need to recognize our helplessness. So as you're sitting here tonight, you're probably coming in with some kind of idea of prayer. Prayer is not a nuanced idea, even if you don't follow Jesus. Maybe your idea of prayer is something boring people do at church. Maybe prayer is something that you do before tests that you haven't studied for. Maybe prayer is something you do frequently, but seems kind of lifeless. Maybe you have a thriving prayer life. But no matter where you're coming from, I hope you realize that in our prayer lives, Jesus is not looking for us to come with pomp and circumstance. No, God is asking us just to come like a child. Jesus doesn't just want the cleaned up version of us. He wants the real you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to create space for him. He wants you to rely on him. And this idea of coming to Jesus and all our messiness is not only the foundation of prayer, it's also the foundation of the gospel or the good news of Jesus. Because we've all sinned. We're all very, very messy. And our mess and mistakes accrue a debt that we don't have the ability to pay for. So Jesus is perfectly clean, and we are perfectly filthy. So those two things should not be able to counteract, right? Or they shouldn't be able to interact with each other. However, Jesus saw us in our messiness and said, I'm going to clean you up. And so he dies on a cross, and he pays the penalty for our messiness. And then he rises again, defeating all of our sin, defeating death. And he creates a way for us to eventually be cleaned and spend eternity with God. So no matter what you come in here with, whatever messiness you feel, any mistake you've made, maybe you've done things that you regret, you've done things, maybe you've ran from God for the last one, two, five, twenty, your whole life, years of life. You've been running from God and you think there's no way that God would want to talk to me. I'm too messy. He's too clean. I'm too dirty. Jesus is here to tell you tonight, I want you to come in your dirt so I can make you clean because you can't make yourself clean on your own. Why would I expect you to do an impossible task? So let me help you complete the task I've assigned of you. Let me clean you up. So if you're here tonight and you feel messy, being in this kind of religious environment makes you feel weird or uncomfortable. I want you to know that God loves you right where you're at. He wants to help you grow. He wants to help you look more like Him. But He wants you to come just the way you are right now. And that's the hope we have. Why would God expect us? So He doesn't expect us to clean up before coming to Him for salvation or life of Jesus. So why would He expect us to clean up before coming to Him in prayer? That doesn't make much sense. Because Jesus has always just been after the real you. See, Jesus, he has a deep desire. He wants to know you, and he wants for you to get to know him. And the main way this can happen is through a prayer life. We have to remember that prayer is not just about changing the world around us. It's about changing the heart inside of us. The main idea tonight is this. The foundation of a transformational prayer life is praying like a child foundation for a transformational prayer life is praying like a child. If you'd all stand with me. Kai Alpha, we have a beautiful opportunity. We have an opportunity to commune with Jesus. 
We get to be with the king of the universe. The way we do that is through prayer. Prayer is also the way that we're transformed to the image of God. So if we want to be like Jesus, it starts with developing a prayer life. Trying to will yourself into submission of being like Jesus is probably not going to work. Instead, submit to Jesus and let him do it. John 15 is clear that if we want to bear fruit and live a life worthy of the call, we must abide, which means remain with Jesus. So if we do this, if our group commits to being a praying Chi Alpha, two things are going to happen. First of all, God is going to have an amazing opportunity to move in power as we ask him to. Because as we ask him to do things on campus, as we ask him to do things in our lives, as we ask him to interact with our students in our classes and help us be a witness to them, as we ask him to do those things, we're opening up the door for him to do a miracle. We're opening up the door for God to do powerful, powerful things in this campus. If we want to see revival or a ton of students come to know Jesus on this campus, the key is not better preaching or better worship or better lights. The key is a better prayer culture with us. That's how we'll see this campus turned upside down. So that's one thing that can happen. Number two, though, is that if we develop this prayer lifestyle, we will be transformed. We'll start to look more like Jesus, which will lead to a more holy campus, a more transformative Chi Alpha in a world around us, in the world inside of us, being like God. If we want to live a transformational, transformative prayer life, we must start with approaching the king of kings. Not as someone who has it all figured out, not as someone who's super religious and holy, but if we want a transformative prayer life, we need to approach the king of kings as a child. There's two ways we like to get people to respond here at Chi Alpha. The first way is if you're here tonight, and if you're honest, you resonate with that idea of feeling messy, and you don't feel like you've ever given that messiness to God. We want to give you an opportunity to give that messiness to God. So if you want to close your eyes and bow your heads, what I'll do, the way we do this at Chi Alpha is I'll count to three. And on the count of three, if that's you and you want to start following Jesus, maybe turn back to him, or maybe just give him the messiness for the first time, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as just a symbol, as an act to God to say, I want you to take this from me. So if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus and accept his payment for your messiness, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for moving in power. Thank you for being a God that loves us enough to get dirty with us just to clean us up. Jesus, we love you so much. Amen. Amen. The second way to respond tonight is if you are honest and you, this idea of praying like a child is foreign to you or it's not something you've ever tried, if that's you, as we sing this song, I want you to try it. I want you to pray like a child to God. You don't have to be alone to pray. I want you to pray right now as we sing this song. Pray to Jesus like a child. Be honest with him about what's really on your heart. Let me pray for us one more time. Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for not making us have to pray some religious rites, some religious sacrament, God. But instead, you just tell us we need to pray like a child. Thank you for creating a way for us to connect with you. We love you so much. Amen.